Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius. Welcome back to the podcast. And this podcast will be another movie roundup. We'll talk about the epic war film 1917 and maybe a couple other movies if I feel like it. Uh, seen a few recently, some very good, some mediocre, some terrible, kind of the usual mix. So uh, we'll see how I uh, my, how I feel about it after I get through 1917. If my tolerance level is um, is sufficiently high to to uh, talk about some of the others, you know, one of the things about doing movie discussions or reviews, it's that so many of the movies are just not satisfying. They're just not good, and sometimes I feel like even talking about them is just somehow. I don't know, undignified or just an exercise in futility. You know, talking about something of no consequence seems to be a talk of no consequence. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I mean, I, I in some ways, I, uh, I want to warn people about the good movies and the bad movies. But on the other hand, talking about some of these terrible films is just, um, you just somehow feel demeaned by it. In any case, we'll see. Let's first talk about 1917. 1917, this is a, a, an epic war film that's currently in theaters right now, came out this year. And it's uh, directed and, and uh, was directed, written and produced by the British director, uh, Sam Mendes. And apparently this story in this film is based on a story that was told to him by his paternal grandfather. So the, the the story involves uh, basically it's a it's a an, an odyssey type war drama. It's about the journey of two dispatch runners, two message carriers, two British message carriers who are assigned the job of warning a certain command not to undertake an attack in a certain sector because that attack has already been has already been compromised. Uh, it's a it's a trap. The the, uh, the German army has identified the attack uh, to take place, and if the attack goes through, it's going to be a slaughter. So you have these two dispatch runners who are assigned the job of of uh, contacting this this uh, this unit in a different sector of the front, and telling them to stand down. And you know things like this happened in. In World War One, even even in, in the Second World War, you know, in the days before uh, reliable communications, I mean, they they had there there were field telephones and there were ways of, of communicating, but nothing like now. Uh, it the, the the level of communications was not as reliable as things are now. Even in the Second World War, there are examples that uh, units using carrier pigeons, if you can believe that, and. Carrying messages to and to and from the front was an important job. It was a it was an important job. And you, th those of you, those of you who have read um, who have read about the war know this. So that's the plot. That's the plot to this movie. And the director uses this bare bones of a plot to pull us into a drama of two young men. Their names are Schofield and Blake. Uh, on this this journey through no man's land and into the belly of the beast, uh, 
in the hopes that they can arrive in time at their destination to prevent a catastrophe. So it's a very compelling plot. It's very well done. And the movie has a lot of attractions to it. It presents us with a very taut episode of, um, of uh, sort of a journey through hell. And they, the, the camera shows these two young men going through no man's land, going into the, the shell holes and the rotting corpses and the rats. And they get into an abandoned German trench and they find it booby-trapped. And they, they go through all these different hardships and tribulations. And that can make for a very compelling story. So at the, at the level of, of storytelling, this is a very, very good movie. And I'm, I'm going to recommend it. I'm going to recommend it, obviously, because I think just for the quality of, of being a good storytelling film, it succeeds. Now, I'm probably going to be in the minority here uh, to a lot of guys and to say that there's something, though, a little bit unsatisfying, though, about 1917 that I just kind of wished, I, I kind of wish I, I didn't have to talk about, but I, I think just for the sake of honesty, I think it, it needs to be talked about. You know, I'm just so tired of these Hollywood war dramas where every face, every actor in these dramas looks like they're a well-fed, uh, a well-fed, well-built guy that was born in, you know, 1990 or 1985. And, and, and every everyone is healthy and and the uniforms look like they, they look like they were all just taken off the rack in the Hollywood dressing sets, and they look or the uniforms look like they were just made to order for the movie. I mean, everything just looks unrealistic. Everything just looks too good. It doesn't have that grit, that 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 stink of desperation, that the the, the feel that you got when you saw Oliver Stone's Platoon. Uh, from 1986, where he made his actors live in the field for a couple weeks. He made them go through hardships. He made them eat sea rations. He made them go through sleep deprivation. You know, it, and again, maybe these criticisms are misplaced. Maybe these criticisms are middling, or maybe this is just me being cantankerous. I don't know. I don't know, but I have to tell you what I think. It's a good movie. It's worth seeing. It's a compelling story. But, you know, at the same time, I really wish, I really don't think that that the definitive World War I war film has yet been made. That movie has not yet been made. It's still up to some future director to do it. And I'm hoping that we get to see it. I hope, I'm hoping that I get to see it in my lifetime. Because if it was me, if I had a budget of hundreds of millions and I was going to do it, I would pick... Uh, I, I would pick as a starting point to Ernst Junger's uh, Storm of Steel. That's the movie that needs to get made. That's the novel that needs to get made into a movie. Not novel, but the, the, that's the memoir that needs to get made into a movie. I don't know if we'll ever see it. We're, in some ways, I think it's probably not something that anyone would dare to do because I think for, for many reasons there are sentiments in that book that are not up to speed with what's politically allowed political correctness i think is is um, allows us to do i think there's there's probably um, a warrior ethic that's expressed in that that memoir that is not um, not exactly welcome these days but 
you know, I just, I don't know, I just found, I just found some things about 1917 irritating and off-putting. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we, there's a scene at the end, for example, where you've got, uh, you've got the main character running, um, running along the trench line, uh, perpendicular to the attacking forces, you know, through just, you know, and there's explosions going off, like, and bodies just kind of flying through the air. It's just, it's just not realistic. It's just not, it's not the way it was. It's not realistic. The real, the real war was, was far, far, far more violent, more, more, more uh, horrible, more grimy, no more muddy. And I understand, I understand that no film can ever do justice to the way things really were, but I just don't think that any director has made the same effort at getting to the truth the way, say, Oliver Stone got to the truth of the Vietnam War uh, from the perspective of the, of the grunts by just by putting his actors through that boot camp and, and, and actually having a, um, a down and dirty view of, of the war. Maybe it's too late. Maybe, maybe the First World War is so far removed from modern consciousness that anyone who had a personal stake in that movie is, is, is long gone. Maybe the time to make a movie like this was in the 1950s or 40s. But in those days, ultra-realism was not really permitted, really, in the studios. We didn't, people didn't want to see that. People weren't prepared to see that. But I still think that realism is something that we, we really need. And it, again, I, 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 in some ways, I feel a little bit guilty about criticizing this movie too much because it's a, it's, it's a well-done film. It's very well done. It's technically, uh, technically a very, a very impressive movie. They've got some ruined, uh, some, um, some ruined villages, some ruined cities of a very well done, uh, battlefield sets. But at the same time, it's just, there's just something very conventional about it. There's something very, there's something very, um, non-daring about it. It's, it's very conventional. It's a, it's a straightforward old school war film where, you know, saddle up, uh, saddle up, Ben, let's go, let's go get the, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very party line movie in some ways. And I don't know. I think that in some ways we need, we need, in our war films, we need the movies that explore the darker side. We need the, the gray areas. We need the complexities. We need the, 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 the grime, the grit, the, the, the horrors. We need that. We need that all wrapped up in a, in a package of ultra-realism in my view, in my view. And 1917, as impressive as it is, and I'm going to recommend it, uh, does not really reach that, uh, reach that bar. Again, judge for yourself. Don't take my word, uh, you know, as gospel about this. Judge for yourself, see for yourself. But there's just a little bit, you know, you, you, you watch these two protagonists, the, 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 the two actors that play Schofield and Blake, and they look like the, they look like strapping, well-fed, well-nourished uh, modern uh, British guys. They don't look like what what uh, Englishmen looked like in 1917. They would have been much shorter uh, if they had been in the war for a much longer time. They would have been malnourished. Their 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 teeth would have been crooked. They would have spoken with extreme accents. Um, so it's just you know little things like that. Just the the lack of realism 
just got on my nerves. The lack of realism just got on my nerves after a while. And, uh, you know, there were just some formulaic scenes in there. You know, you've got uh, the sort of the the comrade dying in the other guy's arms with a, a, a long, dramatic monologue, uh, you know, leading up to the death. It, it, you know, it just every cliche I felt, uh, not every cliche, but there were just a lot of cliches. There's a scene where, he, you know, of course, the cliche where he helps some, uh, one of the guys helps some um, uh, French girl living in a hovel and gives milk and helps a baby. You know, just, just, just these, you know, I felt like I was being manipulated. I felt like I was being manipulated and I, I didn't feel like we were getting to the heart of the truth about the First World War. Again, now maybe there are those who hear this and say, well, Quintus, that's not what the director's goal was. He wasn't trying to get at the truth of anything. He was just trying to tell a story. And that's okay. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I accept that. I accept that. But if you're going into 1917 expecting a World War I version of, say, Platoon or Apocalypse Now or, or some some ex a movie that's going to explore philosophical issues about the nature of war, the nature of conflict, man's conflict with himself, the, the, the nature of the dark side. You're not going to see that in this movie. This is basically a very, very conventional, um, you know, ramrod straight, conventional type of, of, uh, of uh, film, which I think in many ways is designed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, unintentionally, to reinforce the conventional wisdom about duty, honor, and, and sacrifice. There's no gray areas here in 1917. There's no dark side. There's no ambiguity as we find in the real world. There's no ambiguity in 1917. And I, and I felt like this was a drawback. So I understand that my, my review of this movie has really been more uh, complaints than really maybe talking about the film itself. But that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm here for. You, know, you don't need someone just to get up here and cheerlead about this movie. You need to know all the different viewpoints. And that's what I want to do. So I'm going to recommend 1917. I'm going to recommend it. Uh, but understand what you're getting. Understand what you're getting. And I will just leave you with this. I, I still i am hopeful for the future that we will get to see that, that, that movie about the First World War that we've been waiting for decades and decades and decades to see. Maybe it will happen. Some director, some director needs to bring Ernst Jünger's memoirs to the screen or, you know, any any of the, the great memoir writers of the First World War. Siegfried Sassoon uh, comes to mind. You know, no one has really done this yet. No one has really done it effectively. And maybe they can't. Maybe the, the truth is just so dark and just so horrifying that in many ways, I don't think people really uh, can wrap their minds around it. But it's something to aspire to, something to aspire to. All right, so that will, um, that's, that'll, that'll conclude uh, 1917. Let's, let's talk about one other, one or two other movies here. This, uh, this next movie I'm going to talk about is called Earthquake Bird, and you can find it on Netflix. It's a, it's a 2019 psychological thriller written and directed by Wash Westmoreland. And it's based on a novel by Susanna Jones. And it stars um, 
uh, Alicia Vikander, Riley Keough, Naoki Kobayashi, and Jack Houston. Probably none of, the, none of those names really mean much to you, but this is what prompted me to see this movie was the description that I saw of it on Netflix. It's set in 1989 Tokyo, and it involves the um, uh, the dramatic exploits of a of a young female expat who's suspected of murder when her friend goes missing. And it's a movie about a love triangle with a Japanese guy involved. And, you know, I figured it was worth watching because um, I think it, in some ways it, it, um, it connects with my, my era. I, I uh, had the good luck of visiting Japan in the early nineties for a, you know, a couple of years. And even though this, mo this movie is set in 1989, you know, the early nineties are, are a few years uh, you know, it's within a few years of that time uh, frame. So I, it's it's nice to see the 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 clothing, the music, the costumes, the 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 clubs, the the whole ambiance. It kind of brings back nice memories. But this movie, you know, it's uh, it's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's basically what you really have is a a love triangle. Uh, this this uh, mysterious uh, Swedish girl. Uh, played very well by the the, the real the, the real good thing the only good thing about this movie is the performance by Alicia Vikander and she plays a, a very a doe-eyed uh, very very um, sort of elusive type of personality speaks Japanese very very well extremely well and she she falls in love or in, falls in infatuation with this Japanese guy who's a cameraman likes to take pictures and pretty soon, uh, another girl enters the picture, and then there's all these psychological dynamics involving the three of them. And I think what this, uh, the strength of this movie is it shows, it reveals the psychological motivations of different people at different times, and shows how uh, people who cannot come to grips with their shortcomings and cannot control their, their weaknesses are headed for disaster. And so that's, that is... Uh, a good lesson, I suppose, that this movie teaches us. But there's just something missing in this movie. It, it never really takes off. It never really grips us on a gut level. And you always feel like it's kind of a work in progress. You never really get the sense that it comes together. It never really comes together to amount to anything. So I'm forced to not recommend Earthquake Bird unless you really have a specific reason to see this movie. If you like Japan, if you like this time period, if you're interested in these kind of psychological thrillers, it's probably worth seeing. It's it's not a bad film. I think it got something like 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so it's it's a it's a definitely a, a mixed mixed reviews. But those who are not interested in this sort of thing can probably pass on it. All right, and let's then talk. All right, and the final film, and I hesitate, I hesitate even to review this movie or even talk about it. It was so bad. It was called Furthest Witness. This is uh, a movie that came out in 2017 uh, called Furthest Witness. And it's another movie I saw on on, uh, on Netflix. It's directed by Adam Del Guidice, G-I-U-D-I-C-E. Um this is just a terrible movie. It's uh, it stars people you've never heard of. Uh, let's see who who's even in it. it. Looks like 
Aaron Stanford, Sean Patrick Flannery, Terry Reeves, and Forrest Fire, F-Y-R-E. But this is basically just a, a movie about a, um, uh, a guy who uh, does his own sort of private witness, relo witness relocation uh, business. He relocates people with problems over the border to Mexico. And uh, then he suddenly becomes framed for a kidnapping that he didn't do. And then all these bad guys are on his trail. And to complicate things, he falls in love or he falls in lust with his uh, a girl that he's assigned to relocate. So it's just a real mess. It's just a real... Uh, it, it, this, is a, this is a pure B movie. This is a pure B movie. And if you like this sort of thing, if you just want something on in the background as you prepare your dinner... Uh, you can do probably a lot worse, but uh, this is just not a movie I'd recommend. It's basically just junk. It's just a B-movie action junk film. But, you know, not every movie can be good. And it's movies like this that have to remind us of the good ones. Of the good ones. So those are the those are the three movies that we'll, we talked about here. We've got uh, 1917, Earthquake Bird, and Furthest Witness. Um you know, and um, see them if you want, check them out, uh, take my opinion with a grain of salt, and um, search out your own movies, get in there and explore, get in there and experiment, and, um, and form your own ideas, your own opinions. All right, that will wrap up our film roundup here for January 12th. I'm Quintus Curtius, good night.